Greetings and welcome to another episode of Stanford Cinema. Thank you for tuning in. As always, I am your host, Andrew. I, I don't really even know how to like start this one. We're this is a first. This is a first for Stanford Cinema. We have a panel of people, and I'm really excited. I'm going to let them introduce themselves because I think if I were to try to do some type of intro for each and every one of them, we'd be here forever. But I will say that joining today, we've got Keith. Say hi, Keith. Hello. (laughs) Uh, Alyssa. Hello, Alyssa. Hi there. And we've got, uh, you know, um, (laughs) that's it. No, I'm kidding. We've got Catherine. Catherine. Hello, hon. How are you? Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess we'll start with Catherine. Catherine, thank you very much. This is the first time I've ever had you on one of the episodes, and this is really cool. So, how are you? Well, as your wife, who is calling into the podcast here upstairs while you are downstairs, I think I told you about five minutes ago I'm fine. Uh, but. <laughs> But I'm doing well. I'm really excited to be. I'm really excited to be part of this. Uh, I know that this has been so much fun getting to listen and post and and see how uh, this has evolved. But I'm really just jazzed to be part of the effort and the you know conversation this go around. Hopefully, I'll be invited back next time. But we will see. Uh, I better behave a little bit. But thank you for having me. Of course, thank you very much, my love. KJ Keith. How you doing, man? I'm good. I, I was told there was going to be, you know, free cookies and, and scotch, but neither of those showed up today before the call, so I'm, I'm a little... Uh, no, you had to go pour your own yeah. before the call, didn't you? Socially distant scotch. So where is your scotch, Alyssa? Oh, I have a... I wish I could text my dog. Oh, I love that. That's a great little mug. Best ever. She's holding up a mug that says, I wish I could text my dog. But more importantly, what are the contents inside of your mug? Mm. I'm a loser. I have a, I have a school meeting tomorrow at 730. So it's tea. It's <laughs> all right. It's a school night. <laughs> <laughs> so... I guess it would be important to say, well, why the heck are we doing this panel? Well, this is the first time I've ever taken the lead on the movies that we're going to talk about. Generally, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, I leave it up to the guests and say, hey, whatever movie you want to talk about, we'll chat about. But because we are in election season, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to talk about one of my all-time favorite films, the 1999 Alexander Payne comedy, Election. So who better to have join in the fun would be my wife, who I've made watch this movie several times, and two of my favorite people that one, I think, is a first-time viewer, and then another person who maybe saw it once, maybe twice, 20 years ago. I don't know. So point is, I wanted to talk about this movie, and I wanted to get a few people that I, I, I love and uh, see what they thought about it. So that's why we're doing it. And maybe... If the discussion kind of progresses, I want to talk about kind of the the craziness that is this current election cycle and uh, see what people's predictions are, whether the presidency or the Senate or House, et cetera. But we're going to we're going to start off by talking about the 1999 movie election. So without giving anything away on what the plot is, I am curious to know. KJ, was this the first time that you saw this movie? It was definitely the first time I've seen this movie. Um, I think when we talked about this, you know, 1999 for me was not a year of, of sitting around watching TV, uh, being at the 
the ripe age of 19 or 20, there was many more exciting things to be doing. So, like what? What were you doing? Oh, you know, uh, partying. <laughs> partying. Now, when you used to go to raves, because I know that you're a big, like, you know, techno guy, did, were you one of those guys that would have, like, those, like, ring lollipops? Definitely not. No, you didn't do that? That wasn't you? Are those ring pops? Well, yeah. So it was part of, like, the whole, like, techno thing that, you know, when they were all on drugs, they would need something to kind of, like, suck on. So they'd all <laughs> suck on those lollipops. I'm not making this stuff up, am I, KJ? This is something that people were doing, right? I mean, I, I think it's like any other, you know, scene that you're in. There are certain sort of... Uh, you know, uh, clicks or whatever. And, and one of them in, in the Ray or techno scene at that time were called candy kids. So they wear a lot of the, you know, the edible candy, you know, bracelets that you could uh, run around and eat and you know, lollipops and things like that. But um, not me. I was just as, you know, uh, sort of conservative in my dress back then as, as I am now. You didn't wear the Jinko jeans? Nope. No. That would be a sight to see is seeing Keith with Jenko jeans. Are those the ones with like the really, really big bottoms? And yeah. then they're so big that like you wear them long enough that they start to, what is the word, tread? Or like you get the frayed on the bottom. Yeah, I want one of those. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> those were hideous. <laughs> they were bad, but I still want it on. Also, the leggings that had the straps under the under the feet. Stirrup pants. Yeah, stirrup pants. Oh, man. Yeah. I have a turquoise pair of stirrup pants. I still have a turquoise pair of leggings. So I don't think about it. But still, they were uh, they were hot with a W. Would you have called them hot pants? No, those weren't hot. <laughs> hot pants were a different thing. Aren't those those tight pants that they, you know, the women hiked up over their rib cage to their those boot. are mom jeans yeah oh <laughs> oh yeah, yeah well, like mom, mom jeans and hot pants are a little bit different but we're 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 you know we're segueing a little bit Alyssa, <laughs> what, tell me about the first time you saw this movie do you do you remember anything about it or i no? remember reese being um kind of a sassy pants I don't, I completely forgot. I used to, I still call him Mufasa because I can never remember his name. <laughs> you mean Simba? Yeah, Simba. <laughs> Matthew Roderick? Simba. Simba, yeah. That's, that's James Earl Jones. <laughs> and, and, well, and, or Sarah Jessica Parker's husband. <laughs> I remember that was, so I remember, so I remember Reese and I don't, I didn't remember that uh, uh, Matthew Broderick was in it. What else do I remember? I remember the Catholic school part. Yeah. So what about you, Catherine? Well, I, I do know that I remember because in 99, I was a little bit younger. I did not go to raves or suck on lollipops or, you know. Uh, I mean, you might have been I, sucking on lollipops. <laughs> right. But. But, but in a much more innocent way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember specifically seeing the VHS cover uh, of, of the movie at like Blockbuster every Friday night. You know, of course, there, everybody had that story of them and their family going to Blockbuster. And if I remember correctly, it's, it's the image of her face and inside of her mouth is Matthew Broderick. And she's got this uh-huh. kind of creepy smirk on her face. It almost looks like she's just eating him up, which of course, if we go and dive into the, the film, I think that's obviously very metaphorical, but that's something that stood out to me. I of course did not see the movie upon initial release. I've Andrew, as Andrew mentioned, I've seen it many times with him as his girlfriend and spouse. And I enjoy it every time. Uh, if I can share one anecdote that does stick out with me, if I, if you have to 
cut this out, I understand. But the one scene that always sticks with me is Matthew Broderick standing in the motel, no, crouching in the motel, washing his ball sack. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's getting ready for this rendezvous. rendezvous, And it's just such an awkward picture because he's so frazzled and he's just sitting there like trying to clean himself and get ready for this rendezvous. So I guess the innocent picture of me just walking around, probably picking a Disney movie, cut to me remembering a guy washing his privates. Um, Those are the two juxtaposed juxtaposed, uh, images that I have of this movie. And I'm not totally up on male hygiene either, so I definitely did a double take. (laughs) There are things sometimes in movies and stuff, I'll be asking Keith, I was like, is this a thing that guys do? And so for that particular part, I was like, what is he doing? Why is he crouching? Oh, oh. He's like reaching up, getting the like hand soap, like dispenser. (laughs) So yeah, that's, that's what I remember about the movie, most specifically the two images that stick with me. Hope that's okay. (laughs) No, that's perfect. That's perfect. There are a lot of things I want to unpack there. But before I get into that, I'll share my first my first time that I saw it. Now, admittedly, when this movie came out, I was really, really jazzed for its release. I kind of like followed it as it was going through the like the like the festival circuit because it was getting a lot of a lot of praise. And I was really, really looking forward to because one at that time, I was already a big Reese Witherspoon fan. Like, I loved her. I had previously seen her in the movie Freeway. And if you haven't seen Freeway, highly recommend it. Unlike any role that you've ever seen Reese Witherspoon do. What's the line? You're going to do things to my... <laughs> you're going to have sex with my dead body or something? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to do sex with my dead body? Um, <laughs> but really, really great kind of like take on... Little Red Riding Hood. Reese Witherspoon plays Little Red Riding Hood, and Kiefer Sutherland plays the Big Bad Wolf. And it's really, really neat how they how they do that. But so I was a big fan of hers, and you know I had grown up watching The Man in the Moon. Yeah, I, you know I had a little bit of a, like a teen crush on her, and I had seen Cruel Intentions. But it was really because of Man in the Moon and Freeway that when I saw what this movie was going to be about, and you were going to see essentially Ferris Bueller, but all grown up as if he hasn't had another day off in his entire life. Cause it's like a complete reversal of everything that Ferris Bueller ever was. Right. Like he was such a uh, kind of like a free spirited teenager. And then you see him as a broken adult. And I, I, I fell in love with that. I thought it was a really interesting take. And so when the movie finally came out, it was one of those rare occasions where I felt the movie exceeded my expectations. And unfortunately, despite how many times I, I would talk about this movie, the movie really didn't take off in, in certainly in the box office or anything. Like it grossed maybe, maybe like approximately, I'm just going off like my recollection, like around $15 million, maybe a little bit more. And it had a budget around like eight to ten million dollars, but it, it didn't really take off. Even though it it did well in the, in the festival circuit, it was nominated for um, adapted screenplay for the Oscars, and I think Reese Witherspoon was nominated for for an acting award and the Golden Globes. But it didn't take off for whatever reason. But I thoroughly enjoyed it because it was. And in addition to the fact that you had you saw like a complete flip of Matthew Broderick, it was like the anti John Hughes and Catherine. A moment ago or five minutes ago, depending on how long I've been rambling, you you mentioned one the ball sack scene and two the the poster where it looked like you know like uh, she was eating up Matthew Broderick. 
even though I knew Reese Witherspoon was in this movie and that was a picture of Reese Witherspoon, every time I look at that, I can't help but see Drew Barrymore. Like I, when I look at that face, it, to me, like, I'm like, I'm like, that's Drew Barrymore. Obviously it isn't, but the, the, like the, the similarities between the two of them and just like that small profile. Yeah. Anyway. I can see why you say that though. I mean, I, I think that also Drew Barrymore is also very iconic for her mouth and her lips. And that emphasis is very much on Matthew Broderick being inside of the mouth. And so whether that's done in editing or that is, you know, just the time in which both of them were coming up in their career again. So that's a good point. I can see why you would say Drew Barrymore has some likeness to that poster. Thank you, hon. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not validating you. I'm agreeing with you. I no, guess no, no, that no, is no, validation. No, I'm gonna, I don't know. I'm going to edit, gonna edit <laughs> that out. You validated me. And you know, there we go. So it was time stamped. So I'm, I'm locking this in. Um, all right. So we know what I think about the film. Critically, actually, before I tell you what they, what the critics had to say about it, I am curious, uh, Catherine, and then I'll talk and I'll, I'll save Keith for last because he obviously has the most recent experience with this film. But Catherine, what did you think of the movie? I mean, how much time do I need to unpack that? Uh, I think, you know, what I think of the movie, I enjoy it. I think it's hysterical. It's also something that's more in line with the types of comedies that I enjoy, which are dark kind of humor. And at the end of the day, it's actually a very depressing film because you've got the person who halfway through the film, you realize you're no longer rooting for, you know, Tracy, Tracy is equally just as bad as Mr. McAllister of a, of a human. And these two sort of unlikely people, I can't remember the, uh, her opponent, um, Paul, Paul. Yeah. Paul for president mm-hmm. P for progress. Um, Paul, <laughs> peanut. peanut. <laughs> um, he, uh, he, he's like the likable guy, but at some point in the movie, you're not rooting for him because you've spent so much time getting to know Matthew Broderick's character and Tracy Flick. And, you know, it, it's, it's so sad to kind of see the demise. And yet, I think what I'm trying to get at is the shift in your trust and belief in both of those characters, both Tracy and Mr. McAllister, and realizing how you've been as an audience member led astray on who you're really rooting for. And I like that type of mental challenge when you're watching a film that it's not just straight A to B uh, from concept to completion of a story there's you know if we're going to a to z to x to b you know all over with getting to know these characters and so that's something that i really enjoy what i really like about it and like i said it's a dark humor and it unpacks a lot of other social components for that time uh, of course we address uh sexuality in the film we address taboo sexuality we address individuals who may have been dealing with uh, their sexual identity and uh, just a lot of really great uh, topical conversations that came out as well. And of course, I think we'll be getting to this later, but the election uh, series of, you know, so much of what happened in that election versus maybe some things we're seeing in parallel with our own election series. So uh, it's definitely topical right now. And it's definitely very uh, haunting and enjoyable to watch at this time. Thank you. Thank you. Alyssa. Oh boy. This, I think if I just went with kind of my overarching like reactions to the comp to like common things that stuck out at me, um, 
it there obviously there's this definite like overtones of talking about like sexuality especially like sexuality of when when was this film made in the 90s yeah 99 yeah um so so that's a that's obviously a big thing because i think back then it was it was way different than than it is now maybe just not as accepted like you were saying like more taboo but the biggest thing that i think stood out to me there's an overarching theme about political the political race and the running and the kind of the fighting that you would expect for any kind of election obviously it's over dramatized because you're in a high school election but um was the fact i couldn't get away from um tracy flick's character like I kept thinking, is she, is this a, is this a Karen or is this like, you know, uh, uh, not RBG, but like um, a Hillary Clinton. Is this someone, a powerful, assertive, dominant leader, leader driven woman? Or is this that bitchy person choking a dog while screaming at somebody else in the park? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I kept going back and forth as I was watching the movie because of, you're right. There isn't any obvious hero in the movie that would come out and be like, oh, yeah, I'm so glad that I, I aligned with this character because you don't get that. Everyone has their own kind of um, pluses and minuses that make up their personality and you don't get this overarching happy feeling. I think at the end, it's just sort of it, it, it ends. But I couldn't kind of escape that because at the very end you see, you know, Tracy, she's moving on and upward with her life, but you, you don't, you don't get that resolution. Is she still kind of that catty mean woman that just steps on anybody's head? It doesn't matter. And she's embittered because she didn't, wasn't born into a life of privilege or is she like a go-getter and pulled up your bootstraps because I can identify with that, you know, or that really hard work ethic. Um, it's hard when she goes off the rails and you see that some of those behind the scenes, you know, she's throwing little temper tantrums here and there and doing that kind of a thing. And then you're like, well, you know, no, she's, you know, is she having a bad day or is she just kind of a bitch? Well, and you bring up a good point, Alyssa, too, is that so much in life you see people like Tracy Flick, who Brown knows the right people, know exactly to do what they need to do to get ahead. And they're still making everybody else around them miserable. And, you know, I, I can think of so many people throughout high school and my adulthood who it's like, you don't want them to succeed just because of their character and the person that they are. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I generally am kind of a cheerleader for people, but also I... But not you, because you're just kind of a crummy person. Right. And it's like, I don't, you don't deserve that because you're a jerk. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of Tracy, you know? Yeah. But then I have this flip, there's this flip part of me that this actually just happened recently. Um, so a, a long time ago, uh, I don't even remember what we were doing, but we were doing a lot. I was way stressed out with work and tired and some lady cut us off in the Starbucks line. And I was, I was mean and I went off on her. I really went off on her. It was the it was the last thing on everything piled on me and I just flipped out. 
And this week, um, my sister's staying here and she went to Publix and it was very packed. It was like the sunset hour when everyone's coming in off the beach and everyone's, you know, trying to get their stuff. And so there was a kind of a line to get down one aisle and this, and then, and this lady tries to cut in front of like four or five people, including my sister. And, and my sister's like, oh, you know, there's kind of a line we're trying to get in there. And this lady just went off on her, just like totally in hand was to the point where she flipped languages into Spanish. And she, and Hannah's like, oh, you know, your insults would mean more if you speak English. And it turned into this whole big, and she just couldn't help it but be snarky because she was screaming at her. And I, I, the whole point I'm trying to make with this is like, how do you know when someone's just having a really bad day and you just went off on someone because it was that last thing that piled up and just sort of broke you, but you're not generally a horrible person. But, but these things sort of like piled on you and your poster started falling down and you're like, that is it. I can't take any more from that kind of like pressure. And I don't know, it's, it's, it, I try, it's hard for me sometimes to want to judge that person. Like it had to be more than, are they just, that's their, they have a sucky personality all, all the time, or is it just the, a couple of instances, you know, you'd have to like have a longer time frame, I guess, to measure that person. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. I, I was I was just totally enamored. So I'm really, uh, just, just listening to that. That was awesome. Uh, I don't really I don't know how to respond to that other than regarding going back to going back to Tracy and KJ. I'll let you have the floor here in a second. I is she perfect? No. Uh, this movie really like the the central question that they talk about is like moral and ethics, right? Like what might be morally correct might not necessarily be ethically correct or what is the difference between morals and ethics. So Mm -hmm. throughout the entire movie, we're kind of like towing that line on every character that we have morals versus ethics. And when it comes to Tracy, she's interesting because of the fact that I think when you, we, we when we compare with our other protagonist in Mr. McAllister, Ferris Bueller, Matthew Broderick, what have you, I mean, she's she's the good guy. I mean, she's just this overachieving pain in the ass that we all knew in high school. But generally speaking, I think she's a. I even as I say that, well, she did have an affair with her teacher and helped get him fired. But I think. I think comparatively speaking, she is still a better, a better person than. than I think she wants to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's fair, but that's one of the things I think that makes this movie so interesting is the fact that they're apart from maybe, maybe Paul, Paul is probably the only actual good guy in this movie, but he's a total pawn. Right. But Mm -hmm. Everybody, I mean, the the line of good versus bad, it, it's all grayed out. And I think that's very, very important, especially when it comes to politics, because of the fact that even those that you are kind of siding for, they ain't perfect, you know? And I think this movie does a fantastic job of satirizing both politics and, and high school and still being able to find a way to add comedy and still humanize people that we often look at and would be like, I... I hated that person in high school. I totally know her or, you know, that, that asshole in, in, uh, in the park that is calling the cops on, on their neighbors. So you do bring in very interesting points, but KJ, I do want to turn it over to you and see what you thought. Cause this was your first time ever seeing it. And I'm, I'm kind of curious to know what your thoughts were. 
Uh, I, I think that you know our our uh, likes and movies are are not always aligned. Um, for me, this is one of those that is just a, eh, I don't know if I'd watch it again. Um, you know, I, I I sort of you know I, I don't know if this is going to get cut out either, but I thought it was just a shit show and sort of was like one of those things um, where have a hard time sort of watching it because it's just like one of those things that sort of makes you uneasy uh, while you're watching it. Um, and, you know, aligning sort of, uh, you know, uh, Reese Witherspoon's character to sort of what most politicians are. It's like any means necessary to, to sort of achieve the goal and you do throw away, you know, all morals and ethics to get there. Um, so, you know, I just, it makes me uneasy to, to really, uh, you know, watch things like that in this current political environment. Um, and, you know, I, for me, you know, the only sort of person that I think I sort of, uh, you know, latched onto was actually uh, Paul's sister, Tammy. Oh, Tammy, yeah. You know, where she's, you know, just the character in there that um, just doesn't care. You know, she's like, this is all BS and it doesn't really matter. And, um, you know, it's at the end of the day, they're not going to really change much by, you know, becoming, you know, a, a, a person inside this, this school. So it's just, you know, they're going to be gone in a couple of years and uh, it's just an endless cycle of, of the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, and I, I want to talk about Tammy here in a minute because I think she brings something really interesting, not just the fact that she's kind of like the, the third party, but she is more of a, a voice of reason and uh, she's she she's brilliant. I, I fully, uh, fully love her. So I get it. Uh, the movie certainly isn't for everybody. And the movie, it, it succeeds and tries to make you uncomfortable. That's something that that I love about, and granted, it, admittedly, it isn't for everybody, but uh, something that is very famous with Alexander Payne's work, uh, the writer-director of it. If you've ever seen uh, Sideways or... Love Sideways. Uh, the Descendants. I mean, these are movies that have very, very tough subject matter. And they're the the people that you're tracking whether you want to call them a hero or anti-hero they you're you're getting protagonists and and your central focal points are very very flawed and often unlikable characters you ain't wrong keith for for not totally you know being on board it's fine i i still love you even though you know you uh i i would encourage you to check it out again uh, because there are so many great little nuances in this movie, and I, I really don't want to nerd out too much yet, but some of my favorite things in this movie are the, uh, the visual cues and the editing and the, the, the multi-narration, because this is one of the few movies I've ever seen where you've had four, four narrators and four different perspectives that are all kind of the heroes within their own story and that that's different you certainly wouldn't have seen a movie like this in the 90s and very few movies even today would do something like that there's this great moment where tracy uh flick finds out that paul is running and she's like no why would it bother me and she has this long monologue about how it wouldn't <laughs> how it wouldn't bother no, you're, you're, it, that, that, that's perfect that you laughed at that but uh how it wouldn't bother her but everything you're seeing is that she is like on fire like completely 
just wants to like burn everything down. And she's talking about how it doesn't bother her and how it doesn't bother her that, uh, that kid. he's worked very, very hard. Other people who've worked very, very hard. Yeah. And no, doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> she's talking about, she's talking about like, uh, how the father buys him a truck and, and then you see her sitting on the bus, uh, like, yeah. <laughs> like a punk. So, but yeah, there are, there are a lot of little nuances and like those subtle things that, that I enjoy, but it, it's great that we do have at least, at least one person that, wasn't on board because of the fact that that that, that's good it i think it brings it allows for good conversation i'm not going to try to convince you but i want to convince you (laughs) i do want to say something kind of funny about the audio editing though andrew too because something that also takes place in a high school setting which also has somewhat of an ensemble cast several years later is Mean Girls and something that I love so much in the movie is when she does you were talking about how she just finds out that he is running and she has that like animalistic like sound that is like that soundtrack of like when she is just on fire I can't even try to duplicate it I'm not please edit that part out but I basically I I, I remember that kind of being parodied along the way and Mean Girls pulled it off so well in its own way when uh, Katie discovers some of the like nuances that are going on throughout the high school. There's that sort of jungle animalistic type music as well um, that is going on. And it's it's funny to me how it also inspired movies along the way um, after the release. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm great, great. Uh, Alyssa, what are your thoughts? Anything on your mind? Oh, well, um, when you were talking about like s- some of the nuances, I, I like when, when they paused uh, Reese's face, when she's like, <laughs> her mouth is open and her <laughs> eyes are half closed. During the ethics conversation, right? Yeah, yeah she was right, raising her hand. Yeah. And I thought, well, that isn't that a funny little nugget there where they put that so it jars you out of it because they, you know, they you never pa- would pause right there, you know. And then they're taught, then they take you out of your head space there for a second, and then they plunge into talking about the differences between moral morals and ethics. So it was it was a funky way to do that, and I I, I really like that, and I it, they did it a couple of times is to her specifically yeah you got you uh so they did that twice in that one scene where and that was just kind of a fun way of them playing with exposition because obviously in every film you have that opening act where you're going to find out about these characters and how are we going to relay that exposition and this movie through the way of doing voiceover and editing they were able to kind of like play with kind of like a very common trope and make it neat and refreshing, but still find a way to make it feel very quintessentially cheese, like intentionally cheesy, which I thought was really, really brilliant is the fact that they like some of the, whether they, they did that little editing or later on the movie where Mr. McAllister is trying to get his wife pregnant and they, they superimpose like heads on top of his wife's oh. head and they do like this cheesy little graphic of, of these. And again, it's it just, it's brilliant and, and really, really neat in that respect. But what I wanted to take a step back because we've been talking a lot about this movie, but to give a little like history lesson, the movie was originally based on an unpublished novel by Tom Perota, and for listeners or y'all, if you ever watched 
The Leftovers. He he wrote uh, he he created that TV show. But again, it was an unpublished novel that his publisher basically said, "This is weird. It's a little." It's strange because it's about high school kids, but they're having sex and it's about an election. We, I have no idea how we would ever sell that, put that away. Fast forward a couple of years later, he was at a writer's like festival. He, he brought the novel with it and got it in touch with a couple of different people. Like, holy shit, we can make a movie out of this. Got in the hands of Alexander Payne, who had recently come off the success of, as mentioned before, Citizen Ruth. And boom, election is made. And listeners, now that we've been chatting for 40 minutes, if you have no idea what this movie is about, essentially it is the story of a high school election and a very, very well-regarded teacher that because he doesn't like one of the students running, he decides that he wants to try to influence the election by um, you know, bringing a, a lovable jock into the, the foray and seeing if he can steal a few votes. And then when it doesn't necessarily go that way, he cheats the election by throwing away a couple votes. I should also mention that even though this movie isn't necessarily a true story, it is somewhat based on fact. There was a a teacher in Michigan or Wisconsin, I can't remember which, but the, the students had elected a pregnant girl as prom queen and the pre the principal very, very not happy about it. He, he burned the ballots. And as a result, he got fired from his job. He lost his entire career. But Tom Perota had read that story, and that was his original inspiration for, for election to do that. That, and it was also around the same time of the 1992 presidential election where you had um, Bush and Clinton, and then this crazy third-party candidate and Ross Perot. And obviously, uh, Tammy's character was all essentially inspired by by Ross Perot coming in and kind of just throwing that entire election upside down. So just wanted to give a, give a little bit of history on on the, the context of this movie. Keith, weren't you saying that? Weren't you, weren't you, when we were talking about that, weren't you talking about that election? We were talking about different elections in the past. No, most recently we were talking about uh, Bush versus Gore and, and, you know, how how the elections have come down to, uh, you know, these really like, um, uh, you know, small sets of, of, you know, voters like in Florida where, uh, you know, it basically went all the way to the Supreme Court and they ended up ruling in Bush's favor, um, you know, for, for him to win that state, which ultimately helped him win the election. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of that do anything you can to, uh, you know, sort of tip the scales in your favor is happening, you know, all the time. But, uh, you know, we're seeing it very much right now where, uh, you know, the, the Supreme Court is being, uh, you know, pushed conservative and, uh, you know, we're having lots of uh, judicial you know, judges being put in place that are uh, more right leaning. Um, and you know, gerrymandering going on that you know much very large parts of the country um, which have small populations are more heavily weighted um, in allowing Republicans to take control even though they're not the majority. So you know it just goes back to you know uh, throwing out morals and ethics and you know doing whatever you can to uh, you know uh, win the election. So what I'm getting from you is uh, four more years, right? 
Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Four more years and uh, I'll, I'll be moving out of this country. <laughs> <laughs> you say that, Keith, and I'm wearing, uh, I'm donning my RBG t-shirt right now um, in, in lieu of recent events as well. So, and you know, you, you mentioned some of these larger scale elections and happenings, but we all used to live to, you know, in Atlanta and even with our own governor election with Stacey Abrams and, and Brian Kemp, we saw, you know, a similar uh, situation happen where it didn't really come down to the democracy of, of it all, but really those, those small details of gerrymandering and polling stations not being affected. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is interesting to kind of see how, even on a you know small scale being on a state level versus federal level well, things that's, happening you know, it, it it takes all levels and if you can control all levels if you can control governorships um then you know you have a a big sway in everything that happens in the states um you know in, in terms of uh redistricting and, and making sure that you know, your party has uh, a better chance of, of you know getting elected to the point where you know, we have these crazy, um, you know, different areas in the country that, uh, you know, that this, it's not like a circle where you would expect, like you just have this radius that you support in terms of your constituents. It's these, you know, squiggly lines all over the place where, you know, one little hole in the center, um, isn't supported by that, you know, uh, uh you know, um, congressman. It's, it's somebody completely different. So they control everything else around it, but um, that's how they can sort of push Democrats or Republicans um, into certain areas where their votes really don't count. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a scary time to be in. All right, uh, cheers, everybody. <laughs> yeah, that note. So I think what Keith is saying is that he was voting for Tracy Flick. You got it. Keith is very much third party in this. He's a Tammy. Yeah, he's he's a Tammy. Yeah. He's a Tammy there. Yeah. She did have the best. She did have the best speech. She did have the best speech. Who would you vote for, Alyssa? Tammy hands down. She was she was fight the system all the way. Principal, she loved it. What about you? <laughs> that little bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> I think I also love that one moment where Tammy does see that Reese has pulled all the posters off and Reese is in the office with the principal and she's a little bit on edge. She's feeling the pressure and Tammy comes walking in and, oh, she wasn't talking to the principal. She was talking to mm -hmm. Mr. McAllister and Tammy comes walking in. He says, not now, Tammy, not now. And she goes, oh, is this about the posters? And then she looks deadpan right at uh, Reese Witherspoon and says, because I know who did it. And <laughs> you can feel the tension. I think that's another moment where that animalistic song comes in. Um, but it's just so powerful because you can feel Reese's character just losing it. I mean, she has already lost it, but she realizes that my chances are so far beyond my control at this point. And this has just become one big shit show and I don't know what to do. Did, did any of you ever have an experience when you were a kid where you're like, someone's about to tattle on you? Yes. Maybe not the principal. Yes. And you're like, had this upwelling of that, that dread that, oh man, 
what's my story going to be? How am I going to cover up for this? Like, am I going to come clean? Yeah. 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 And you don't even know how bad it's going to (laughs) get. I hated that feeling. So I recognize what, how Tammy was feeling. Tracy, not Tracy, not Tammy, Tracy. Um, no, I, I can't, I can't relate, um, as somebody that is, generally, <laughs> I don't, I don't know why you're laughing as your wife. I can tell you exactly why. <laughs> okay. Uh, so moving along, uh, I do want to talk a couple of things about politics because I, I do think we would be, we're, we're missing an opportunity. Obviously when you do a podcast, you want to try to make it as little like time sensitive as possible. But in the case of this, I'm, I am curious, but before I get there, I did want to give you like a couple little notes on the film. Originally the studio, when they were making this movie, they wanted Tom Cruise for the role of Mr. McAllister. Um, oh. I know. Uh, they also looked at Brad Pitt. They looked at Tom Hanks and i can't see tom hanks losing it like that no can you imagine like it yeah like the whole idea of like tom hanks washing his balls not (laughs) no he's just too yeah tom hanks would be too much of a a good guy to unhinge like that at least that's my perception i can't have a mr rogers be a mr McAllister. no yeah it's funny that you mentioned that because of the fact that like two years after this movie Tom Hanks would play kind of a villain and the audience is kind of like rejected the movie. It was called Road to Perdition. And oh, yeah. he, he was he was kind of like a hitman in that movie. And he, he's a hitman with a heart of gold, really. But people a variation of a stripper with a heart of gold. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but that was also the movie that kind of launched Daniel Craig into the, the stratosphere because he plays really the guy that sets that entire movie like in motion. But nobody wants to see Tom Hanks depressed and going around, like, killing people because his wife and his son were murdered. You know what I mean? Like, it, it just wasn't – it didn't really, like, strike audiences. So that, that is interesting that, uh, that people weren't on board for that. I also have a hard time imagining Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt as Mr. McAllister. So I think they, they hit goldmine by going with Matthew, Brod- with Matthew Broderick because – as I mentioned before, it's like Ferris Bueller upside down. He somehow actually became Ben Stein in this movie. You know, like he started as Ferris Bueller and then he became the, the teacher from Ferris Bueller going Bueller. Yeah. Except for his line is judicial. Legislative. <laughs> he does the legislative yeah. executive. Yeah. 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 He does the triangle for years and years. And was Reese always on the ticket? Was she kind of the absolute decision how was her role come in to uh, the fold she she did audition and she it's funny she uh she basically told them that you know they can interview other people but if they hire anybody else they're they're stupid and then she got she out said that. yeah and then she got out of that and she's like who the hell just said that but that that's not me but she was so confident in that role that she she knew exactly who tracy flick was and she would be the perfect person for that part. So she she interviewed with Alexander Payne. A funny a funny little anecdote about that. She went into the interview, and it's uh, the casting director and Alexander Payne, and he's wearing a full on suit. And Reese is why like why are you wearing a suit? And Alexander Payne replied, because it's Tuesday. And that is a <laughs> that is a true story. So highly recommend this movie. 
Uh, it has a great Criterion edition right now where you can get a lot of like good background content. It has a really good interview with Reese Witherspoon. Great commentary. Critically, it has a 94% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 79% approval among audiences. And on IMDb, 7.2 out of 88,000 reviews from people um, on IMDb. So overwhelmingly positive. So KJ, I'm not... I'm, I'm yeah, fake news exactly. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not saying you're wrong, but I, I would I would like you to give it another shot because there are so many great little nuances. One of my favorite nuances, and then I'm going to wrap this puppy up and start talking about seeing what everybody else thinks about the upcoming election. But there's this great line when Mr. McAllister is trying to get Paul to enter the election race, and he's like, "Paul, what's your favorite fruit?" And anybody knows? Uh, anybody know what his uh, first favorite fruit was? Apples. Apples. Pears. Pears. Oh, pears. And he says, "I also like bananas." Yeah. <laughs> so he goes. He goes pears. No apples. That's right. That's yeah. right. And uh, so Mr. McAllister starts drawing. Like, all right. Well, you know, then we'll, you try an apple. You might think it's pretty good, even if it's, if it, even if it's pretty bad. Then comes an orange. So now you have your choice, apple or oranges. And then Paul says, I also like bananas, (laughs) which is really funny. Cut to the immediate next scene. Paul goes home. There's a fruit bowl. I saw that. And so what's in the fruit bowl? Apple, orange, banana. And when he lifts up the banana, what's there? A pear. So he literally all four of those fruits are there. My note, though, was that it would have been funnier if he had been indecisive about which one he wanted to pick up. I think well, that would have been funny. Been you. Oh. <laughs> Maybe I identify with other indecisive individuals. It just, that's comedy to me, yeah. seeing myself <laughs> yeah. not being able to make a decision. Totally. Uh, so there's that one other one that I want to mention before I forget about it is the first time we see Tracy, she, she's setting up everything, right? That early bird moment, right? So the first image we get is her opening up the legs of the table, right? You get leg, open, leg, open, leg, open, leg, open. What's really funny is she is such an overachiever. She opens five legs, but there's only four legs on a table. So they deliberately show that her she opens five legs, puts the table down, but when we see the table, there are only four legs. Is that so, a continuity issue or is that done deliberately? Oh, that's deliberate. That's Alexander Payne deliberately talking about her overachieving nature is the fact that she is so determined she's going to open up an extra leg that doesn't even exist. <laughs> 110%. Yeah. That's really all I've got to talk about before I allow you guys just to say any final closing thoughts or if there's anything that you feel that we missed that we might want to cover. I have one. Please. One of my other lines that sticks with me is when Tammy and her girlfriend, is it Jessica? What's her girlfriend's name? Lisa, Lisa Flanagan. 
That's right, Lisa. Okay, so when she is talking about their relationship and, you know, I had mentioned that sexuality and the exploration of sexuality was a a pretty big topic in the film. And you have one who Tammy is pretty committed to this relationship and Lisa is really just sort of in that experimental phase. She ends up, of course, dating Tammy's brother, Paul, uh, instead. And so one of the, the monologues that stuck with me and I actually am opening this up to the panel if you feel comfortable. Uh, my favorite question or the activity that they are doing is that they are checking to see how quick it takes for them to eat <laughs> asparagus before their pee starts to smell. <laughs> and then I read this statistic. I don't remember the number, but there is actually a statistic of individuals who either do have that phenomenon or don't. So if anybody feels comfortable sharing whether or not they uh, experience or don't experience that phenomenon, I'd be, I'd be interested. Catherine, if you're <laughs> waiting, for, Catherine, if you're waiting for me to say, it's okay that you've got like stinky pee, I'm not, I'm not going to. <laughs> stinky asparagus pee. I, I didn't realize that people don't smell stinky after the asparagus. I mean, is that even possible? I don't know. Apparently, apparently it does not affect everybody. Apparently. I only know this because I remember it was like, I want to say it was like a pop-up video type thing, but they, they talked about like the statistical uh, like fact of that X percent of people are affected by this one specific chemical or like sulfur or something. Or whatever yeah. it is that's in asparagus, that it does affect like 60% of people or 45%. But I, I wasn't prepared, oh. so I don't have that statistic on high. I'm on looking site. it up. It says okay. only 40% of those surveyed reported detecting the odor in their urine. There you go. So 40%. You know, you're you're technically in the minority, Catherine. Hey, but you know what? How many of us are also left-handed on this call? We're kind of the, you know, anomaly of the majority. Oh, hell yeah. You know, because I'm left-handed. Andrew, you're left-handed. Keith is left-handed. Alyssa, you're right-handed, right? (laughs) So we're doing a video, like, uh, chat. Uh, Alyssa Alyssa looks so sad right now. (laughs) (laughs) So all of us have smelly pee. Smelly asparagus pee. I can say her pee does smell when she eats asparagus, so, (laughs) I feel like that's just shaming their wife's session all of a sudden. Uh, Another little fun note. This was... uh, was it Chris Klein? Chris Klein? Yeah, Chris Klein. This was his first movie too. Like he- No way. Yeah, his very first thing that he had ever done. So then he did American Pie after this? Yep. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I remember him from American Pie. Weirdly, he was in, I, the next night I watched American Dreams with um, Hugh Grant. I've never, I've never seen it. Mm-mm. What's the premise? He is uh, uh, like uh, America's Got Talent show host and he goes around and he, how, how do I make the biggest sensation? And he has, it's actually really good. There's, there's, a, there's a whole presidential election kind of thing going on in that whole theme in that movie too. Um, have to check it out. I don't know. And then it's, it's a, a same kind of comedy. I don't even know who it's by, honestly. Got a little quiz for you guys, and we're going to guys do a little joint panel. We'll see how you guys do in uh, what we just saw with elections. So here you go. First question. Where did this movie take place? Omaha, Nebraska. Yep. All right. Question number two. What is the capital of Nebraska? Lincoln. Damn. 
That's really quick. I did not that think was, that you would know that, Catherine. I'm not usually this good at trivia. Usually I'm I'm there for like the the zinger one last question, but okay, I'll I'll be quiet now. You no, guys no, no, I'll no, give no, you guys I, a chance. I, I how the hell did you know it was Lincoln? I mean, I'm not you really like Nebraska. Daft. Yeah, I I love Nebraska. We have never once talked about Nebraska. Go Huskers. Go Huskers. <laughs> All right. Um a little finer detail. Matthew Broderick was awarded Teacher of the Year, how many times? Three times. I held up my fingers first. You did, you did, you did. We both did. We both held up our fingers. I'm sorry. I'll be quieter. All right. Well, no, no, no. Here we go. Uh, I open up the question, you know, technically you're winning, Catherine, so you get the first dibs at this. What is the difference between morals and ethics? Do I hear crickets? (laughs) (laughs) I gotta go. I mean, (laughs) morals are like that thing. I'm trying to be like that girl who first answered the question where she was confusing the two. Um, I think um, ethics are uh, uh, like a societal rule or set of principles to follow. And morals are those things that whether that you have, you believe them yourself. Yeah, you're, you're on the right track, but I think we're missing something. (laughs) Uh, KJ, what do you think? Um, morals are, are like guiding principles and ethics are more, you know, uh, actions and rules uh, or behaviors. So, you know, why they sometimes, um, you know, uh, you know, sort of blend together, um, you know, ethics are what you actually do in a situation and, and morals are more of like the, the thought process, um, you know, behind them. Cheating an election. Is that a moral or an ethical dilemma? It's ethical dilemma. I think ethically what he did was improper. It was an, I think that was an ethical dilemma. Whereas what he did with his wife, you know, in the, the attempted like uh, adultery to, you know, cheat and get it, hop in that. Uh, What was the name of Catherine? Do you remember the name of that, that motel? No, but I can see the like exterior shot, and I think it starts with an M. Uh, oh. I thought it was Fairview. There you go. Oh, it was. Oh, okay, maybe it was Yay. the M for the motel. Good job. I think Alyssa's catching up. So I think that was like an example of ethics versus morals. I don't know if I'm entirely correct. I think that's. Uh, I mean, morals are more like societal norms of you know uh, expected ways of doing something. You know, I mean, morals and here in the U.S. may be different than, you know, certain morals, um, you know, in, in other countries. But then, you know, the ex- ethics are, you know, uh, how you actually act when those types of things happen um, or, or personal sort of things that you think are wrong. You know, do you take a bribe um, or do you give a bribe? You know, th- those are, um, you know, things of, of ethics if you do the action. But, um, you know, bribes may be. Uh, morally wrong, you know, in, in a society like the U.S., whereas in other parts of the world, it's not so much um, a, a thing that's considered morally wrong. Anybody want to take that to, to task or are we good? I mean, I agree with them. Okay. Works for me. What? So, okay, to continue on with that then, when Tracy loses her mind and gets so upset that she starts ripping uh, down her own posters, would I guess there's nothing necessarily morally wrong about that, except for that she then lied about 
who did do it, right? Is there anything morally or ethically, like, did she cross a line there? I was saying, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think, you know, that her lying about it is, you know, uh, you know, morally, it, it, it may not be something that we uh, I think is, is good in the society. So it's, it's, you know, uh, against that. And then ethically, you know, um, uh, you know, she, she did an action or behavior that um, was unethical in, in terms of blaming it on somebody else or trying to sort of, you know, uh, sort of shift the blame into another direction of, uh, you know, somebody else ripped down all the mm-hmm. posters. Mm-hmm. Uh, last, last question. Coca-Cola or Pepsi? Coca-Cola. Oh, we're all from the yeah. South, man. Coca-Cola. I mean, that's the only correct I'm answer. I'm from the South. I'm actually from up North, but. I, I know, I know, but that, that's okay because quite frankly, both of these soft drinks are from the South. Anybody, any of you guys know where uh, Pepsi comes from? Arkansas. North Carolina. <laughs> I did not know that. I mean, you're I close. I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, any, which one came first? Better question. Which one came first, Coca-Cola or Pepsi? Coca-Cola. Anybody else? Well, I feel like the answer you want to say is Coca-Cola, but just because we know the rich history of it, but now you're making me a second guess. No, it's Coca-Cola. Say, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It beat, yeah, it beat Pepsi by about like seven years. One was like 1886, oh. and the other one was like 1893. And, and didn't Pepsi- Coca-Cola start out as medicinal too? Well, they both did. Like mm-hmm. the like Pepsi was based on, the original name was basically for like dyspepsia. So like- like uh, for people with tum tum issues, you know, like <laughs> that was the whole idea. So like medicinal issues. Tum-tum. You can tell we have a toddler. Yeah. <laughs> and Coca Cola was based on those people who who needed to have a cocaine fix because they used to put cocaine in it. A little extra pep. A little extra pep. Yeah, a little extra pep. So that was something that a lot of like pharmaceutical people, everybody was doing in the late 1800s, early 1900s. They were putting drugs in everything. They were. It was just like the dawn of modern day science and they just wanted to try to figure out this that and the other and what's really really wild is even one of our panelists tonight come from a neat little family in our own right where uh, my wife my beautiful beautiful loving wife Catherine her her grandfather great-grandfather was actually the original creator of what we know of now as Jello. It was called something entirely different, but Catherine, I want to give you the floor for a second because this is a really interesting story about about Jiffy Gel, if you want to tell it. Yeah, sure. Uh, I will start out by saying, no, I don't have a trust fund. Uh, that would be a much cooler end to this story. But my great-great-grandfather on my mother's side was a chemist and a scientist. He ended up later being in part of the cosmetic field, but when he was partnered with his coworker partner, uh, he started what was called, I think, Sunset Desserts, and it was called Jiffy Gel, and they started out with lime, lemon, you know, citrus flavors, orange, and this was pre-prohibition era. And one of the components in Jell-O, or I see I'm even doing it. I said Jell-O. One of the components in this gelatin dessert was alcohol. And of course, cut to prohibition and they could no longer use alcohol as a binding component in the uh, recipe. And so they had to kind of 
mix around and figure out an alternative. And they thought they found one and there was an issue where they would, these, these products would spontaneously combust on the grocery shelves. And so they had to pull it back. And I guess my mom has told me, and of course it's been a few generations through conversation and story sharing, but evidently there was a gentleman's agreement, which of course happened a lot back then of just a handshake and a trust uh, in your, in your conversation with the producers of Jell-O. And there was an agreement that there would be no recipe sharing or stealing. And when my, I guess that grandfather or the, the gentleman with Jell-O had passed away, his next of kin did steal the recipe and they were able to find an alternative binder for alcohol. And so they kind of got to take the lime jello light, if you will, of the um, situation. And this is my poor great, great grandfather also lost the equivalent of $8 million in the stock market crash. So he really didn't have a happy ending <laughs> in that he was able to take that fame and, and fortune to his and you know um, his offspring, if you will. But it's a really cool story to think that we have that that in our lineage. That you know we of course have some sort of invention that does revolutionize how we consume foods today. So, yep. He also was accredited for starting the. 15 minute coffee break. You know how when you're in an office and you get to kind of around 10 o'clock, I guess some people call it a smoke break now, but uh, those 15 minutes back when there were factory workers, he would uh, enlist individuals to go take a pastry and coffee cart to the people in the uh, factories and say, hey, you've got 15 minutes, take a break, get off your feet, enjoy this coffee and this pastry, and then get back to work. So that's something that he was credited to as well. See, this is the type of shit you get on on my podcast. I mean, come on, you gotta love this type of content. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing that story. That's awesome. Uh, any closing thoughts on this movie before we we talk about Trump v. Biden? All I can say is I've been watching '90s movies now since there's not really a lot to watch. So this is a nice. This was a nice addition in the steady stream of 90s movies I'm rewatching again. Yay or nay? Are you on team yay for this movie or team nay for this movie? I'm on team. So I'm on team yay because um, lately I don't, I, I think it has to do with the whole COVID thing. I can't seem, or maybe because I'm in school too and I don't have a lot of free time. I don't, I will, I will drop a movie or anything like I just, I'll just leave it because there's just not enough time in the day to, to do stuff. And I, I mean, of course we had to watch it, but I, I would have watched it all the way through. It kept me, it kept me interested. All right. Good. Good. Catherine. I'm a yay. I love Reese Witherspoon. Always have. Oh, and yeah. That too. Yeah. Yeah. She I think we were talking about this earlier, Andrew, before our, our we hopped on the, the call, but the very next big lead role that she had after election, of course, she did a couple of supporting roles, but she had Legally Blonde as her next title, you know, lead role, which to think of Tracy Flick, who is this all around good person, but not, and then you've got this epitome of perfection who just is a little ditzy who has the heart of gold i just i love the different characters that 
that Reese can play. That's not answering your question though. I would give this movie a yay. I, I love Reese Witherspoon. I have always loved Matthew Broderick's voiceover ability. Of course, you see that so much in Ferris Bueller. You see that in uh, The Lion King. <laughs> you see that in Election. He has a very lovely voice to listen to in voiceover. Uh, there's just so many components about it. I mentioned earlier, I really do like dark comedies and this seems to hit a lot of the boxes of the sort of messed up, but also identifiable real life uh, components. There's, there's, I, I think we have met every single character in this movie at some point in our lives. And also Reese Witherspoon's character really set her up for Big Little Lies, Big Little Lies I think. I mean, you, there's some major similarities there. And, and that's a good point. Playing that point. kind of queen bitch role, you know, really, you know, adds some money, throw some money into that. And you've got a really great character, you know. Hey, and Reese cheats on her husband or, you know, sleeps oh, around yeah. with another man too. So, hey, you know. <laughs> like, I already did this 10 years or, you know, 15 part, years ago. Part of me wonders if Reese Witherspoon actually is a little bit like that too. If you know about that uh, moment where she was, I think, filming here in Georgia and she was drunk, she got a DUI and she's telling <laughs> the cop. Do you know who I am? Yo, do you know who I am? Oh, no. <laughs> so, have you never seen it? I think you can Google it. No, but I love Reese. She's, I want her to be my best friend. (laughs) Uh, I think I know what KJ is going to say, but uh, KJ, I keep calling you KJ. Obviously, you you know, Keith, but you know, you're you're KJ to me. Uh, So... As long as it's correct on the paycheck, you can call me whatever you like. (laughs) Uh, For me, you know, it's not a a yay or a nay. It's a, okay. You know, I mean, it was, okay. it was, um, it was somewhat entertaining. Myth. I think, you know, I, things have to be, for me, you know, there's a sort of threshold where I'll watch them again and this one just didn't quite make it. Um, but overall, I, I thought it was good. I mean, the characters were good. I'm sure there are a lot of things to um, sort of the Easter eggs in the movie, like you've you been mentioning that, you know, if it's, uh, you know, something you watch over and over again, you may start to catch more of those. Um, for me, I just, it's not something I'd probably watch again. Fuck you. Um, so anyway, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, this is, uh, this is great. I, this is, this is the, literally the first time that I've, I've brought a movie to the table as this was like my selection. So, um, I, I, I welcome, you know, the, the, the constructive criticism on, on my film tastes and I am not going to judge you. Uh, I, mean, I like Transformers, so, you know, we can... I, I know you <laughs> do. I know you do. Yeah, so KJ and and I, so for the listeners, go back a little ways. KJ and I were once upon a time roommates back when we were both in college and we we found each other through, through MySpace and... Oh, that's a throwback right there. Yeah, yeah. Circa 2007, I was ending on a lease on an apartment that I had had and everything was going to go well, but I had broken my leg earlier in the year and all the, all the savings that I had went out the window. So I needed to leave my apartment and I was going to move in with a neighbor that I had and she and I got along really well, but like three to five days before I've scheduled to move in, she dropped this bomb on me. Like, Hey, by the way, you know, like I'm into you and can we date? And it's like, well, shit, no, 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 we can't. And 
fuck, I can't live with you now. Now you made this weird. Uh, yeah. So I last minute hopped on MySpace and um, yeah, was able to find KJ and fast forward, you know, many, many, many years later, we are still great friends. And the four of us are kind of together as a result of that union, which I think it will not, well, Alyssa and KJ met, you know, I, I have no bearing on their, their meeting, but if it wasn't for me, Catherine wouldn't have met Alyssa or KJ. So, and, and I wouldn't have lived with them after you moved out. I, that's right. I became the roommate after you moved out. That is true. I was also, and, and a better roommate probably. <laughs> right. Oh no. I had a horrible roommate situation. I also was in college. I had to get out of there ASAP. And I think I even told Keith, I was, I was like, Hey, so I'm, I'm ready to move in. He's like, well, I need to paint and I need to like clean the car. Yeah. I go, no, it's okay. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> I'll come. I'm, it doesn't bother me. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do this. So, uh, yeah, Andrew moved to go to grad school and I moved uh, in his place. And so what was funny about that whole situation, though, was Andrew was basically like, Catherine, don't fuck this up for me. And so he because we hadn't been dating super long, Andrew, at that point. But he was the way that the house was situated was it was a kind of like a split level. You walk into the first landing and you can either go downstairs or upstairs where upstairs is the master and the kitchen and all that. And then downstairs is garage access, backdoor access, a full living room type area, a bedroom, a bathroom, like three closets in a massive backyard. And the only time I emerged was to like place my rent check delicately at the, at the (laughs) dining room table. And there were other, okay. Oh, you're right. I would also make my double noodle soup. Yeah. And occasionally pop popcorn. And then I would scurry back downstairs like a little rodent because Andrew <laughs> did not want me to talk to them for some reason. He was no, like, don't fuck true. this up. I just said, don't and the only up. reason why I knew that Catherine had been there because I'd come in at some point hours or whatever <laughs> later and I'd sniff the air and I'd be like, someone made soup. Catherine was here. <laughs> yep. So we did eventually become friends, but I think it was actually after I had moved out. We're <laughs> close to it. I think our eating habits are something of legend uh, when it comes to their house. They think of soup when they think of you. And I don't even have to finish like the pizza. sentence. I, I know. Ex- there you go. <laughs> <laughs> he said pizza. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, pizza and I, I don't think there's anybody in this world that is surprised when they find out that my favorite my favorite food is pizza. Catherine, yeah, her her last meal is double is Campbell's doubled noodle soup. <laughs> no, that is not my last meal. That is absolutely college the roommate comfort food. Meal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you're broke. And also if I'm very sick, I will I will sip on that again. But I also read that it was just not made out of very quality ingredients and I'm a little bit more highbrow at this point. <laughs> So highbrow you are. (laughs) Uh, All right, here we go. Final section of the evening. This episode is releasing on November the 2nd. November the 3rd is the presidential election. Not just presidential election, but just the the election in general. Are you guys ready for this to be over this election cycle? Are you are you hopeful that things will go a way that you want it to go? Are you pessimistic? What are what are your hopes? You don't have to say who you want to win if you're if you're uncomfortable with that, but I am curious to know because we watched a movie about an election and all the ugliness that entails, what 
how do you feel going into this November? Because this is probably, and and you know, arguably you can you can make that case. It was the way in 2008 and 2012 and 2016, blah, 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 blah. But I think 2020, really. I think 2020 is probably the most intense election cycle of my life. And I'm just curious to see where you guys are at. So, and I think our listeners would be curious just to, just to know what, what you're thinking. Go babe. <laughs> I, I was saying just riding with Biden, hoping a nice big blue wave comes away and washes away all the, uh, the you know, the terrible Republicans. So, um, uh, you know, hope, hope, uh, Cautiously, cautiously optimistic that things are going to change, um, but you know there is a lot of you know voter suppression happening, uh, you know all the way up to you know the point where Supreme Court is getting involved and sort of you know uh, siding in favor of you know Republicans right now. So it's scary, uh, you know of of. Uh, just, you know, in terms of like us seeing these types of things in, in our lifetime, you, you, you think you live in a free society, yet at every turn it's, it's you know, being sort of dismantled in, in favor of a my small minority um, in their extremely, you know, fanatic views on, on everything. So, um, you know, I, the, the middle of November can't come soon enough because November 3rd, doesn't really mean anything. I think at this point with all the delays we're going to see with, uh, you know, mail-in ballots. Thank you. Alyssa. Okay. First, I'm going to show you a picture. Grab him by the ballot. I love that. Is that in your yard? This is in our yard. Grab him by the ballot. Four different hands. For, it looks like different cultures. Uh, they're women's hands. And then this is Biden Harris underneath the bottom of it. Um, but we really like that. It's kind of a sassy sign, but um, sassy sign. I don't know. Where do I start? Yeah, I, I feel like uh, Kamala Harris. We we needed a Kamala Harris four years ago. Um, we need more women's equality. I think the juxtaposition of having like a Kamala Harris right now with with Biden on the ticket and and what's her face? What's her face? Um, Amy Cohen's what handmaid's tale lady oh yeah i think i think you summed her up perfectly i don't, yeah. I don't, I don't need to know her she's handmaid's tale lady yeah amy coney barrett coney coney that's it coney barrett so you got these these two opposing it kind of feeds into the you know, election movie a little bit here you got two opposing very strong women um two very very different ideals um, you know, on, on, and especially on like core beliefs and stuff. I'm anxious. I've been so anxious. I, I just want this to, I, you know, we, we constantly talk about, are we staying here? Are we moving out of the country. How bad is it going to get? Is this world war level? I mean, we've never been in an election with a pandemic before, not in the last hundred years. Right. So, you know, I think there's a lot riding on how it's not just the pandemic and the health response. I think it's like the economy and overall, like this is going to start really hitting home for a lot of us if it hasn't already, you know what I mean? Since I'm, I'm speaking personally, since we've been so fortunate to be healthy and not have had anything bad happen to us um, yet. So yeah, I got a lot of anxiety. I, I hope things 
I, I want to say cautiously optimistic, but I tend to be a little bit more of a realist. Keith would say pessimist, but I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Catherine. I'm thinking back to four years ago around this time when I was having specific conversations. Actually, we were kind of joking about it. At one point, Andrew, you poured us a, uh, not a Moscow mule. We called it a The freedom mule, a freedom mule. Cause remember back during Bush's era, uh, that we had freedom fries instead of, you know, oh, yeah. French fries. And Andrew and I were kind of happy go lucky. I was convinced there was no way on earth that there would be a president Trump. I, I was not convinced. I thought that he was self-sabotaging. I thought that, you know, and there's no way that people, right. And, and for some reason it was not, well, he was self-sabotaging, but people lapped it up. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was no way that a man with no experience and uh, no ability to connect with his constituents would, would be elected. I was convinced of it. And I know that there was polarization with Hillary across the, the Democratic Party lines, but I thought for sure that despite all of that polarization, that people would be in their right mind not to, you know, elect Trump. And over the past four years, I have spent time convincing myself, okay, this is going to be it. This is the breaking point where people don't believe in him or support wake him up. any longer. Yeah. They're going to wake up and realize, but then also I've been spending a lot of time trying to watch what his supporters say and what they believe in and what their talking points are. I don't just sit and watch uh, CNN or listen to NPR, though I do prefer to spend any time consuming that media uh, as what many Republicans would call the mainstream media. But I do watch Fox News, too, because I want to know what they're saying and I want to know what rallies and, and, and uh, energizes them. And all of it is just so laughable because even at this point, people are talking about how senile and incapable Biden is. And he he's so old. Mind you, they are only a year apart and three years. OK, well, they're both in their 70s at this point and they're both good. You're on mute, Andrew. Oh, <laughs> they're they're both, you know, going to be noted as one of the oldest presidents. And regardless, my concern is that what I believe is going to happen, I, you guys have said cautiously optimistic. I'm terrified. I am anxious. I have run different scenarios in my head because at this point, you never know what Trump is going to do or what he's going to say and how people are going to react to it. And in my head, I envision a scenario because we are seeing a lot of leads in Biden's case, and that has a lot to do with these mail-in ballots. And they say that Democrats are more likely to mail-in ballot than they are to go to the polls and Republicans are more likely to go to the polls. Despite this lead, I foresee a situation where we have Biden winning the, the nominee or the nomination. I'm sorry, not the nomination. He's going to win the election on the third there is going to be a contest to that that decision and Trump will not go quietly. He's already said he's not going to go quietly. There is going to be kicking and screaming. It's a rigged election. You know, he's going to blame the mail-in ballots. He's going to blame this, that, and the other. And Keith brought up a good point. Amy Coney Barrett has had many talking points about how she, you know, would support the 
you know, election contesting. There's there's been a lot of conversations about how if it does go to the Supreme Court, who's going to side with the situation and who who is going to either overturn or support that decision. So I am cautiously optimistic, but I'm equally terrified. I might have gone down a really long. No, you're 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 totally fine. And I I echo much of what everybody has said. What here's here's my take, and I am probably the least qualified among the four of us, but what how I think it's gonna play out is I think it's going to be a resounding victory for for Joe Biden. I think he's going to kick Donald Trump's ass. But I also don't think it's going to matter. I think you're going to get Donald Trump bitching and like whining and screaming the entire way. And it's only it's going to be a really, really ugly event. And I don't think we I don't think we have seen the worst. I, I really don't. No, I don't. And what's also terrifying, Andrew, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's not just Donald Trump who's going to be losing it and 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 saying that. But the talking points that you will see on Fox News and the, you know, Facebook platforms and all of that, his supporters are going to distrust democracy in the same way that many people did in other elections. But because there's so much control right now there's a likelihood that there may be, uh, a, I don't know, a situation we haven't seen before. Yeah, so. I, that, that's, that's really what, how, how I feel it's going, how, how it's going to shape up. And I mean, every, it seems like every day the guy has done something more insane than the previous day, these past four years. I don't even think that, that's hyperbole. I think, like, we thought he was batshit crazy when he was sworn in. We thought he was batshit crazy when he ran. We thought he was, in fact, point of fact, this country overwhelmingly thought he was batshit crazy when he was the host of The Apprentice. The fact that, like, uh, he didn't fire Omarosa like in episode two or episode three of the first season <laughs> of The Apprentice. And they're like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like, I wish that was the drama we were dealing with I, now. <laughs> I know, but that, but like, there was a time where Republican and Democrat, we all thought Donald Trump was insane. But somehow, because of the fact that he really got that taste for ratings, he he found an audience that were able – that were willing, a, a willing audience just to eat up his bullshit. The majority of America don't like him. Even the majority – not maybe not necessarily the majority, but there is a strong percentage. It might not necessarily be the majority, but there is a strong percentage of people that are still voting for him that think he's an idiot. You know, that 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 just think he's ridiculous, but they they're OK. They're OK with that insanity and party over policy. Yeah. Party over policy. And but, yeah, it's not even party, though. It's it's you know, I think he's managed to appeal to a base of users that are fanatical about certain things like abortion rights, um, you know, yeah. in, in White supremacy. Yeah, that you know all these things that you know any right-minded person would immediately sort of denounce. Yet he allows them to flourish and actually, you know, uh, you know, sort of props them up 
to the mm-hmm. point where we're having, you know, literally like multiple, you know, uh, FBI, like, you know, arrests of these large groups of people that are trying to literally murder a governor or, uh, you know, and just other things like that. Do you I mean that for the president of the United States to sort of be inciting that and sort of getting those people to do that? Um, or, or Cowboys on, stand you know? back and stand by. Yeah. But what's what's crazy to me, and I think this would be another interesting thing for a podcast, is the the sort of documentary "Where's My Roy Cohn." If you haven't watched it, it's extremely interesting into the mindset of like a Trump, where there is it, it's he, he never accepts fault for anything, and and Roy Cohn was sort of the, you know the the original sort of person in politics who. Um, took that type of persona on and, and Trump was somewhat uh, a friend of him at one point before Roy ended up, you know, sort of being uh, torn down because he went sort of went crazy. Um, uh, but the, the way that Trump acts and the way he, he denies everything is, you know, part and parcel how Roy Cohn, um, you know, uh, operated throughout politics you know, with Reagan and others. And it's sort of just been, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I think there are those sort of um, sort of levels of evil that, you know, are, are in politics. And, and Trump is just, has been part of that. And, you know, he's managed to, uh, you know, increase his fear of those people and put him, and pint those people into power to where they're continually propping him up because, you know, the rich and powerful continue to stay rich and powerful with tax breaks. Um, and, you know, the fanatics continue to get what they want in terms of, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, when reducing women's rights and reducing, you know, minorities' rights and all those other things. So I, I think it's scary times, you know, that uh, sort of evil to me is prevailing. Um, but hopefully, you know, the sort of the good comes back uh, in this election cycle and, and we can sort of, uh, you know, right the ship again. I, I, I'm not... I, I'm not of the camp that thinks that all Republicans are are bad. I think many of them are misguided. I think their philosophies are wrong with today's society, and I think they're, but I don't think they're bad people. But my hope is a level of optimism that when this nightmare of Trump, and let's be real, he he is a nightmare. He's a horrible person in every way, and in any like. He he's a villain in any freaking movie you've ever watched. And when we do have the the hindsight of being able to look back, I think that my hope is that Republicans be like, yeah, we got that one wrong. We were stupid. And I don't know. Maybe that's naive of me. Um, and I, I know that there are many, many, poly, many people out there like, no, fuck that. He, he was great. But I, I want to believe the in the the. I don't want to say the the good Republicans, but the the Republicans that I know and love, and those those are people that are in my family and and friends of uh, families that I've got that that they something things just went wrong, and I, I hope that there is a a ship that gets righted, and we are able to put this Trump nightmare behind us, and we're able to move on and be able to actually argue about policy and not have arguments about. Is racism bad? Is white supremacy bad? Like, is should you wear a mask? Should you wear a mask? You know, is sexism bad? That's not policy. Those aren't politics. That is pure, like, 
vitriol and the fact that the, ethics and morals yeah, and the ethics fact that we're talking about this shit in 2020 and not like oh this guy did that and oh this you know politician did this we're not talking we're not talking about politics none of this is politics it has everything to do with the fact that there is somebody that is a horrific human being running the most powerful country in the world and my hope is when this horrible chapter is over we're able to find some type of center ground again and then we can look into little left of center little right of center but i don't know that's just my two cents i i don't really have anything else to add other than i know it's gonna get bad but i've got to hope (laughs) that when the dust settles we will be a better a better country when he's fucking gone when when you say when you're talking about um, Republicans, do you do you think and it's hard for me to gauge this because I grew up I grew up in this. Do you think that Republicans now are far more extreme, like swing far right than they used to be? Maybe like two decades ago? No. Or a decade ago? I've asked that question too, Alyssa. Andrew and I have had conversations, but I'll let you answer. No, I, I really don't. I don't think the majority of Republicans are are super right. And I also don't think the majority of Democrats are super left. I think the majority of people are just left or just right of center. And what it comes down to for that is more, yes, you have your extremes. You've got your religious fanatics on one end, and then you've got your your complete anti-government on the other side. But I think the majority of people are a little moderate, a little liberal. And I think we, we tow those lines better. And that's okay. I, I, I still think that you, should, quite frankly, should be a little bit more left of center than right of center. I think the idea of basic human equality should be on everybody's mind. And any level of conservatism and denying somebody that right, I think there's a, you know, you're, you're a little wrong, but I, 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 to answer the question, I I don't think that the majority of Republicans are uh, moved more. I don't, I I don't, I don't believe that more Republicans have moved. Right. I think, let me ask you a question though, Mm -hmm. because I agree with what you're saying, but every time I flip over the channel, to watch Fox News, which is the only network that most or many Republicans watch. Mm-hmm. They're consuming punditry that is shrouded in the guise that it is actually news. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so the talking points that, and that's not to say that that doesn't happen in CNN, you know, like you've got your Jake Tappers and you've got your Anderson Coopers and you've got, you know, all that. But the talking points and the diversions that happened. Like Andrew, we were watching Fox News the other day just to kind of do a comparison research. They don't even display COVID deaths or numbers on their channel Mm -hmm. because doing so would make them look like they are supporting somebody who should be doing better. That's news, those are facts. COVID numbers are news and they have a responsibility to make the individuals aware. But despite being called Fox News, it is very much a lot of times not news yeah, or it's very, it's, it's entertainment. And so a lot of people, especially those who are vocal on social media platforms, repeat those same talking points. I joked earlier about how, Oh, everything else is mainstream media, which 
I think probably like, um, uh, what's his name? Sean Hannity made up or something. And it's, it's, what do you mean mainstream media? It's, it's literally the news. It's literally journalists doing investigative research, but I, I get concerned about some of the talking points that people consume because I do think it pushes people further right because they they believe that to be true. Yeah, Fox News was the original fake news, and I you know I think the Republican Party and Trump has been really good at spinning it back and flipping it you know into them basically saying all other media is fake news. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean Fox News is is nothing more than you know uh, an arm of the Republican Party. I mean, you know, they're all other than like what was it, Shepard Smith? You know, they're mainly He's just gone now. Or we're mainly they're just all you know opinion uh, uh, you know shows, and it, you know they're they're just as bad as Rush Limbaugh. You know, they're they're all and calling team. themselves fair and balanced. That's right. their their tagline, well, but that doesn't make it true. They, they dropped that tagline. Did they? Yeah. Because it would be it would be unethical to continue touting that because it's not true. Correct. Well, they, I mean, there was even a thing where Tucker Carlson recently went to court and you know, they argued on behalf that no reasonable pe- person would, would you know uh, expect that anything he says is true. I heard that. And I heard so, about that. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I I think there is a a section of society there. Um, easily, uh, you know, uh, persuaded to believe certain things because they think they're watching news and, you know, they have proclivities of, of thinking, you know, right or left, where, you know, whichever news you're, you're watching or, in, you know, somewhat news channels, um, you don't fact check it. You know, you don't think, oh, you know, is that actually true or not? You just wholeheartedly believe it. We see that with people resharing stuff on Facebook. Well, and social media has, um, you know, amplified that like a thousand times to the point where, you know, you don't know who it's not really even Fox News anymore. It could be some nation state that's trying to, you know, cause interference in your country. You know, we're seeing that, and you know, Facebook and Twitter are doing things to help tamp it down. But the fact that things like QAnon have have spread so much to where you have these videos of, you know, people thinking that some uh, barbershop has kids, you know, tied up in the basement. And this is a pizza shop. It's a pizza parlor. I'm sorry. (laughs) There isn't even a basement. So it's just crazy. And yet on top of that, you have a, a, a president of, you know, the greatest country in the world, quote unquote, that is, you know, giving them sort of, uh, you know, a voice and, and not, you know, completely denouncing them is, is totally, you know, crazy. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's challenging for a lot of people to, you know, really use reason. You know, I, I think there are a lot of people out there that don't have the ability to, 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 you know, analyze and reason things themselves. And they're, they're, they're sort of being, uh, you know, preyed on with their, uh, you know, what the right word is like their, you know, their, their sort of naivety. Yeah. Like their, their abilities that they think that, you know, gay marriage is bad or, you know, abortion is bad. And, um, you know, those things just sort of are amplified by these news articles that they're seeing, uh, which, you know, pushes them even more to, to the right. 
Um, and, and, you know, it's just got us to this point now where we have a president like Trump who, no matter what he does, um, he's, he's allowed to stay in power, you know, because um, half of the facts that we get by, you know, listening and seeing regular news or, or just seeing him, you know, how he acts can, can see how bad he is, but they're being shown this completely different picture of him, that he's the strong, powerful person, and, you know, he's, he's fighting for their rights. Mm-hmm. So. To bring it back, the original question is, do I think that Republicans are more conservative now? No. I do think that there are plenty. I, I do. I do think that there are a very strong percentage of, or rather, I, th- I feel that those that believe that feel emboldened, but I think that I think that the the overwhelming majority of Republicans are just doing their thing because I mean you, you hear it just yeah. even listening to other Republicans they're like I wish he wouldn't say this I wish he wouldn't say that and there have been several reporters that just won't go on record and they they shake their head on a daily basis with the shit that Donald Trump says. And when we go back to Fox News, it's entertainment. They're in the business of trying to sensationalize everything. They they want to get good ratings. So, And if you are appealing to a certain audience that are tired of hearing, my guy is bad, you're, you're going to watch that one channel that says, no, 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 he's not bad. They're bad. They're the problem. So they're going to give you all that type of bullshit. But I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here, but... When I, when I say this, every single one of us that are on this panel right now, we're, we're leaning toward Biden. Every single one of us on this panel have parents that are, that are voting Trump. I almost feel like we need to have a, 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 a cheers moment. I know you only have tea, Alyssa, but here's to also trying to navigate this shit show of, you know, a society while also fielding family drama because of it. Like this has been one of the most strenuous strenuous past four years with, you know, family members. Andrew's right. taking a big pull from his drink. Uh, it's, it's, it's a delicate balance of, you know, <laughs> You can unfriend somebody on Facebook. I know that some of us have done that even with family, uh, but it's still your family, and it, it's it's such it's such a messier situation uh, because you feel obligated at times to continue getting along because they're family, and yet you find yourself getting so infuriated that they're mad at you because you've voted for somebody. How dare you? But then you're also thinking how dare you vote for this other person because it completely contradicts every, everything that I thought that you were growing up. You know, I also grew up in a very conservative household and you brought up a good point, Andrew. I think the idea with our parents' generation is so much of the, um, uh, the Reagan era, you know, but that's not what we're seeing with this, this round of, of Republicans, whether that's, you know, with the president or how the GOP is acting right now. But I just wanted to have a moment of silence or cheers or whatever to just also, I think a lot of people listening could probably identify with the fact that it's been a really difficult time trying to navigate this with friends and family. Here, here. 
I would cheers. I would cheers with that. It's very been very polarizing. Yes. Am I going to be the only one holding up oh. my cup and waiting to cheers? <laughs> cheers! Yay. I want to take okay. a screenshot of this. Oh. I mean, for me, just, you know, I, I don't, I, I think there are lines in, in the world and you, know, you talk about morals that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one thing that if you didn't know certain things were happening, you know, when in your day and age, whenever that was, uh, you know, I think back to our parents that racism, you know, uh, was ongoing. I, I don't really don't know how you couldn't know about it. But the fact that, you know, that you still would support anyone, no matter what the party that, you know, uh, is, is actively trying to suppress, you know, uh, uh, minorities, you know, blacks. I, to me, it's, it's unforgivable to the point where I, I don't talk to most of my family anymore. I barely talk to my parents, you know, just because it's the one relationship, not so much for me, but for Alyssa and, and others that I can really give two shits about carrying on a relationship with anyone who, who you know, thinks that way. I mean, it, it, it's to the point where it's like, you know, Nazi Germany you know, in the forties and, you know, it, it's, it's the whole like saying back then of, you know, they came for so-and-so and I didn't say anything. And then they came for so-and-so and I didn't say anything. Uh, it, it just, it, it's like the core to me as a human being of the things that you should be doing. And yet people don't do that. So why do I want to have any of right. those people in my life? Yeah. No. Um, I mean, it's it's tough it's very tough and yeah it's a it's a situation in where you love your family but you don't identify with the the you know you 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 love them as the people who have raised you and and you know all, all the things that go along with with family but you don't identify at all at all and so that's the polarizing part is is there's like that kind of that separation of of those it's kind of comes back to that morals and ethics you kind of separate you separate away from that and it's i think i'll just speak because i only have my own experience it's like you're now you're left in this kind of like maybe newer state where it's kind of raw and maybe lonely even you add COVID onto that and now you're, you're, everyone's super lonely, but you know what I mean? It's just like this like weird thing that you thought, oh, I think we all kind of get along. We all, and, and it's actually separated everybody, I think even further. Cause it's all just pedestrian conversation and you know what areas you can't dabble into. And then some areas that you didn't even realize that you shouldn't be dabbling into, like the concept of wearing a mask or, you know, things that you would think would be just so. Basic safety, right. basic human rights. Right. Basic. Exactly. Or, you know, I, I, I went, 
Sorry, Andrew. I went to a performing arts high school where a lot of kids were. <laughs> whoa, 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 wait, Don't... pause. I need, I need to unpack oh. this. You went to a I'm what? just saying I was heavily involved in the arts and uh, there uh, tends to be in that field um, a good amount of, you know, uh, different sexual preferences as any normal walk of life that you encounter in any workplace or whatever, but it's just, I think, exemplified in, in the arts. And I had really close best gay friends growing up. And to think that somehow, even though my family welcomed those people into their home and, and, you know, I had no problems with me being friends with these individuals that now they're voting for everything to contradict their rights or don't I like think of them as equal citizens is kind of the heartbreaking thing too. Yeah. And what I will just briefly state is we, we feel very passionate about these specific talking points what I will say is these aren't talking points that are really brought to the table in the, the forums and media that they consume. Right. So we we're talking about equal rights. We're talking about whether sexism, racism, uh, sexual preference, gender, gender equality, all of those are things that we talk about. Those are like our hot buttons that on Fox news, they're not talking about those things. You know what they, what they're focusing on is the government getting too big and trying to take away this right and that right that that they hold dear so like the the courts which that one's silly but that's just the way that they that that it's phrased to them guns guns are huge to them that that's like one of their biggest things that the government is going to come and take their guns away that's that's so that is the information that they consume so when they hear that Beto O'Rourke is saying, hell yeah, we're coming for your your AK-47. That gets played on a loop, and they hear that Democrats just want to take away their guns. So the message that all that they're consuming is that Democrats want to take about the take away the the rights that they hold dear. And and things that we hold dear, they're like, well, what are you talking about? That that's that what? No, I, I don't have a problem with that. But yet you're not you're not listening to that other message that is being thrown out by your party. You're only hearing about the other side of the coin. So that's why when I said the majority of Republicans aren't super extreme. I've got great friends and and we've had we've had our our, our fights uh, over over politics, but they don't mm-hmm. buy into half of the bullshit, but it's those specific bullet points that they hold very, very dear, which keeps them where they're at and what i will say is you know it's the fault of politics it's the fault of the media it's the fault of us it's there it's just there are so many nuances to to politics the the but the bigger issue is with trump it's not politics at all he's not a republican he's not a republican he he he's just found He's just found a place where he can he can say bullshit to a specific base in a certain faction that they're going to eat it up, and that's and right. yeah, that's what you're saying. You're saying ratings, mm-hmm. you know. Yes. It's just like it's just like even negative press is still 
Yep. Good press. And he's their guy. So that's the one. But that's it. That's all I've got. Uh, I will toss it over to you guys for any type of uh, closing, any closing thoughts. We've been chatting for shit like two hours now. And I want to thank you. The first hour was talking about a movie that I thoroughly enjoyed. And this past hour was talking about a political climate that I absolutely loathe, but I, I'm hopeful and, you know, I, I'm hopeful that things are going to go well, but I'm also extremely prepared for things to get even uglier than, than we have yet to experience. But haven't we had enough in 2020? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. KJ, question for you. Do you know what Barack Obama's favorite political movie is of all time? I do not. What is it? Good question. KJ, are you a fan of Barack Obama? Would you say he's a, an intelligent man? Very intelligent man and charismatic. Uh, do, do you think he probably has a good taste in movies? Uh, Possibly, you know, I think, you know, he has a, a very likable personality and he's, you know, somewhat of a jovial person. So I, I think, yes. Would you be surprised if I told you that election is his favorite political film? <laughs> no, not. Well, you know, I mean, not everyone can have a good taste. In <laughs> <laughs> Thank Thank you. It's a jab on Andrew again. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for your honesty. But yeah, so point of fact, Barack Obama is on record saying that election is his favorite political uh, film. Okay, so I have two 90s movies. If you haven't seen them, I think you should watch them just because they're they're not as deep as what you had. But um, American Dreams, Paul Weitz was the director, in case you were wondering. So that's Dreams of the Z. And then and Mandy Moore's in it and that other guy. And that other guy. And then <laughs> I love and that then, other guy. Yeah. And then Smoke Signals. Have you seen Smoke Signals? I haven't heard of that one. No, I haven't heard of it. It's it's about it's about um, Native American Indian culture. It's a comedy though, but it's in the nineties. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll check it out. <laughs> Two funky ones. Yeah. Um, my only recommendation based on our conversation that are also 90s films, and I'd have to go back because I haven't seen this movie in a long time because it, it was it was really, really crazy subject matter. And, you know, I, I, I Catherine, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm going to shock her when I say that I'm a big fan of Laura Dern's work, but... <laughs> Like Citizen Ruth, I, I I can't I can't recommend that movie enough. It is another Alexander Payne movie. It is very much like Election in the awkward, the awkward humor that is almost kind of reminiscent to what you would have seen like in like the awkward moments that you see in the office where you're just like pained watching Michael Scott. You know, like you have elements of that like in a lot of Alexander Payne films where you would just cringe at your protagonist. And in Citizen Ruth, it's um, there's there's some awkward scenes of her trying to, I'm, I'm yeah, I'll just say like abort a baby in a comedic way, but oh I'm not going to say anything else about this movie. But Citizen Ruth, check it out. That's all I've got. I'm gonna. Uh, I'll watch hit. it. 
I'm gonna hit. Oh, and, and now I'm gonna rewatch Sideways too. Actually, do it, do it, Sideways. Dude, I really, I, I love Alexander Payne, The Descendants. Have you seen that one? Oh yeah, yeah. That's Every, also a good one. Everything he does is, is so good, and well, for for my tastes anyway, you know, it's just a very like dry, weird but yet kind of sincere. I think that's the other thing that I like about his movies are that these people are so crazy, but there is a level of sincerity and empathy that he's really good at bringing out within these characters. You've got like Mr. Devo- uh, Mr. Uh, Novotny, who we haven't even really talked about, but, and he's a deplorable human being that's having an affair with a student. But that moment where he's crying in front of the, in front of the principal, like, but we're in love. Like <laughs> you, you believe that he that he believes it, and they're in. It's so funny, but also so cringeworthy that you're like, oh, you're disgusting. But oh, I also feel kind of like sorry for you, and oh, you're you're not you're not completely deplorable. He he still like finds a way for you to like empathize or humanize. These do you think it has are, anything to do with the fact that he made her that lovely little wish you were Howie. here? The, oh my yeah. God, that's so good too. That's so good too. <laughs> well, and also Andrew, when we were watching it the other night, I love that you brought this up and you guessed it wrong. And what made it so funny was at the end when we realized the cut to moment, there's a scene where he is luring her back into the home. They're driving and he, he like makes her put her head down because he doesn't want the neighbors to see that oh, they're driving, yeah. they're driving okay, into yeah. his driveway. Yeah. And so, you know, there's that monologue from Reese Witherspoon. She's basically talking about how she enjoyed his talks and she really, you know, appreciated him and loved him. And there's this scene where they're in the living room and it's so disturbing because the baby crib is right there. And then the uh, house is just sort of, um, I even asked Andrew as a mother, I'm like, where is she with the child? Because I don't go anywhere with my child. (laughs) And that was pre COVID. So I don't know, first of all, where they were, but second of all, he hands her a drink. And in any situation where there's like some sort of courtship or there's about to be, you know, somebody doing the hanky pinky, there's likely going to be a beer involved or wine or something like that. He hands her a soda and Andrew guessed, he's like, what is it? Is it, is it a root beer? What is it? He said, uh, is it a mug, a mug root beer Oh yeah. cut to it's a diet mug root beer, <laughs> which is hysterical because it's just so juvenile. Yeah. And yet he's not juvenile. He is a married adult man, teacher, luring his his student home while his wife and child are away and thought, hey, let me crack open a diet mug with her. So even down to her outfit choices though, like so they were conservative because obviously she was, you know, doing the election thing and all that, but she wore if you see she wears stockings like little girl stockings when you're like way too old to be wearing those kinds of stockings and flat shoes not heels because heels wouldn't you know connote some sort of like maturity or a little bit grown up so she wears like very and really old man sweater vest that i didn't get that's that's awesome that you brought that up Alyssa. i mean there were some really interesting like uh, wardrobe choices. And I I did love like the stocking reference. Uh, That was something that I noticed as well. One of my other favorite ones, which 
is very subtle. And I had thought about it, but the like the documentary I watched it kind of like reinforced it is we watch, you know, we're watching Mr. McAllister's life kind of go in this ever changing circle. You know, he's teaching the same world history class legislative executive judicial branch he changes it all the time you know like but it's just like one giant circle the first shot that we have of him he's running around a track in a circle we see him drawing apples and oranges in circles his ties all the signs on his ties are circles all of them every single one they're just talking about like this never-ending circle of life that he's just going through and like the like the monotony that that is his everyday life so little things like that they that they played within the wardrobe and the visuals just very like subtleties that you would probably miss the first three or four times that you watch the movie but that's those are kind of like some of the fun things that they played around with in the movie that I thought yeah. were kind of interesting. And what's cool too, Andrew, what is the opening shot? It's a sprinkler that's mm-hmm. broken. Yeah. And the sprinkler is supposed to be going in a circle. And when oh, it yeah. works, it's supposed to be going yeah. like this, but it's just hitting the the, the, same the water in the yeah. same spot. And I said to Andrew, I was like, I thought sprinklers were supposed to move or why is it looking like that? And he said, it's broken, but that is everything you need to know about everything. The system is broken. These people are broken. Um, you know, the, the whole, the whole just conversation of, of what's happening, everything's broken in this town and, and this school and this election. Yeah. I think that's a great place to end. <laughs> Ladies, gentlemen, Catherine, Alyssa, Keith, you guys, thank you so much for for joining me this evening. I've had a really, really fun time. Hopefully, you guys have as well. Yeah, yeah. We, we did. Okay. I did. All right. Oh, I, I did. <laughs> it's fun. I mean, this one, this has been a test. I mean, we've we've this is far and away the longest talking point. I probably will have to edit and try to trim trim you know my rambling because i will go on and on and on and probably have done so several times tonight so i apologize for for talking forever but i do want to say this was a real treat for me and hopefully listeners you've enjoyed this as well i think we've had some really good discussions and i'm curious to know what your thoughts are and yeah that's all i've got we'll see you next time say goodbye everybody bye goodbye bye Bye. 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 Bye.